Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Hopefully you marked your place in your Bible ahead of time. We're looking, as you might have guessed even before you arrived, we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus as it is the central teaching or doctrine in the Christian faith. This is, it, it is sort of uh, all about this. If you strip everything else away that might uh, either not matter or be matters of secondary concern, um, you could never strip away the resurrection of Jesus and still have the Christian faith. It is the central uh, belief and there is great power in that belief and we want to consider some of that today from Matthew 28 verses 1 through 10. I'm going to ask if you're able to stand as we read the word of God and listen attentively to his voice in it and what he has to say to us today. Reading from the English Standard Version, listen to the word of the Lord. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We open it now, as always, with the expectation you have something to say to us in it. It is not just words on a page or just information, but we believe that it is living and powerful, that it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cut uh, to the division of joint and marrow, uh, bone and body, Lord, and, and penetrate to the very center of our being, discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, Lord. And we want you to get there to the very center of our being today, knowing as you know precisely what we need to hear and how we need to be impacted by it. So we open our hearts to you our ears to you and pray that you would speak, Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and our good. Lord, would you move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument today? In Christ's name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, the women went that morning uh, to see the tomb with Jesus in it. That was their expectations. In fact, we read in, uh, or, or could read in Mark's gospel that they brought spices 
to anoint the body. And presumably, they, it's, it's as likely as not that they are moved by the same kind of things that move any of the rest of us uh, in the immediate aftermath of the death of someone who's precious to us. Um, heavy under the weight of that, just filled with all kinds of emotions that attend that occasion and, um, and wanting to go do something in response and to uh, demonstrate still an expression of their love by caring for his body. That's so they go expecting him to be there. But when they arrived, it was quite a different scene than what they expected. We read here that there's, there was an angel clothed in radiant white. There, there were soldiers um, cowered in a, a dreadful fright, you might say. Soldiers who, by the way, were accustomed to being the ones to strike fear in everybody else. Right? Not necessarily the same soldiers who were mocking and beating Jesus, as perhaps some of them could have been on that same detail, but, uh, but they're part of the same military anyway. Um, they represent everywhere they go. They represent the power and the authority of the Roman government, and they're accustomed to striking fear in the hearts of anybody. You remember last week, in fact, we read about um, uh, Simon who had to carry the cross of Jesus, right? Who just, he was just passing by. But soldiers said, hey, you, pick that up and carry it. And he did, because he must. And that's the sort of authority and power that Roman soldiers had. They are used to being the ones to strike fear in the hearts of people because they, they, they represent, again, they sort of carry the authority of the Roman government. Here in this scene, it had been made clear to them that they have no authority in heaven. This angel appeared and, and, and sort of brought with it the presence of heaven, you might say, among them and made them feel very, very small. Did you catch the language there? I mean, it's like their strength just spilled out of them. I, I, I think of a scene like this. I think of like, if you've seen those, you know, maybe viral videos on the internet or the old funny, uh, funniest home videos kind of things where like a backyard swimming pool, the wall bursts on it, you know, or somebody sits on the edge and it falls apart and all the water just goes gushing out of it almost instantly. And all the, all the courage and all the bravado and all of that sort of strength of a Roman soldier just gushed out of them at this moment. And they are like dead men in the presence of that angel. But the women arrive and have a brief conversation, you might say, an interaction with the angel and then one to follow with Jesus. And, and in those conversations and in the instructions that they received from both the angel and Jesus, we see sort of an outline of uh, the process of even becoming a growing disciple of Jesus. We see, uh, maybe in another manner of speaking, some appropriate responses to the resurrection. And I want to I look at four just quickly this morning uh, from Matthew 28 here. And the first response is, come and see. 
Come and see. Come and see the evidence specifically. That's the angel's invitation in verses 5 and 6. He said, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. Not because you're at the wrong grave. He's not here because he is risen. And then he said, come and see. Come and see the place where he lay. This is actually the reason the stone was rolled away, by the way. Jesus did not need the stone moved out of the way for him to get out of the tomb. You understand, right? He just had a different way of coming and going after he was resurrected. And you can read about that other places too. But like, you know, he could just show up in a room. Can you imagine how startling that might be, by the way, if you're just sitting at like the Super Bowl party or something, you know, and you go to dip your hand in the, you know, chip in the salsa or whatever, and there's Jesus sitting beside you. He just show up. And, and so he, he didn't need the stone moved out of the way. The stone's moved out of the way to just reveal all that's there. It's wide open for inspection, you might say, for those who could go inside and see. The, the women could walk into the tomb, see that the body's not there, but also see it used to be they're in the right place. But his body was not there. They could see where his body had been. Luke and John, in their gospels, both report that the linen cloths that uh, his body was wrapped in were still in the tomb. And it's wide open to observe and examine for themselves that the tomb is empty. The tomb where Jesus lay is not the tomb where he's laying anymore. They could examine, by the way, if they were so inclined. Uh, they could look around and, and see, does it look like his body was dragged out of there? Was there any evidence that a mob of people came and carried it off or something like that? Come and see. Come and see. That, that remains the invitation um, to everybody who would be so inclined in the 21st century, anybody interested, genuinely interested in investigating the claims of Christianity. And there may be some here today who fall into that category and maybe examining first and foremost the claim that, that he rose from the dead. That there remains that invitation. Come and see. Come, come and see if it's true. There's nothing to hide here. That the, the stones rolled away, so to speak. All the evidence is wide open for examination, and there's lots of it for somebody to examine if they would be so inclined to examine. There's uh, uh, sort of empirical, empirical, you know, scientific uh, sort of considerations. There's historical evidence. There's philosophical evidence or argumentation and so forth. I mean, from, from, from pretty much every angle, you can examine the claims of Christianity and see if they're true. That's an invitation to anybody who would, who would be willing to do it today and, and again, and make an honest inquiry of it. You see here in, uh, in this scene that we read about actually before and after, if we had gone on, we would read, if we had read even before, there was... Um, 
some concern among the Jewish leaders that his disciples would come steal the body because they said he, you know, he, he had said he would be raised on the third day. And so, hey, these, these guys may play a trick on us and um, you know, come and steal the body and say he was risen. So why don't you put a guard there in front of the tomb, which is why there was a guard there. But then after the body disappeared, the guards had to go report that and go, um, Houston, we have a problem. And, and so they said, you know, just if anybody asks, tell them their disciples came in the middle of the night, stole the body while you were sleeping. We'll be sure you don't get in trouble for it. And my point in bringing that up is, we know how it goes even in our, our day and age. It's sort of like, that's the, that, those are the talking points. That's what the press secretary is going to go out and say. And, and you know, that there's, there's a certain uh, set of people who are just going to believe it, right? They are not going to ask any more questions. They're not interested in making an honest inquiry about what's true. They're just interested in what's the, what's the given line. I would say, by the way, I think that the job of White House press secretary is one of the most unenviable jobs in all of humanity. You know, uh, whether well, no matter what president or what party, you know, that you, you just I feel sorry for those people sometimes when you know they're coming out there and saying things they don't believe to be true, <laughs> and they know they don't even sound true, <laughs> but they'll have to say it with all the confidence that they can possibly muster, knowing once again that some people, particularly the people of their party are just going to go along with it, right? And other people will push back and question or whatever. But it's, you sort of get the same thing happening right here in the first century. There are some people uh, not interested in real questions or genuine inquiry, examining anything at all. Just tell us what the, the standard line is. We got rid of the guy. Let's move on. But I come back to uh, the real point at issue. For those who would be so inclined with an... With an open mind and make an honest intellectual inquiry. The invitation is, come and see. And, and I can say, personally, I, I would issue that invitation to anybody without any fear that, uh, that, the, that the evidence isn't going to hold up. I'm not suggesting, I know not everybody examines that and therefore becomes a Christian. I'm not, uh, I, I'm not saying that at all. But, I, but there is nothing to hide. and there's, there, there's no part of the Christian faith that we need to keep covered up in a closet somewhere and hope nobody asks about or finds out about. I'm saying, come and see. All of it. Open it all up. Read as much as you want to see. Listen to as much as you want to listen to. Because it is true. It, it is true. And, and, I'll, and I'll say, I mean, that's fundamentally, just as a matter of personal testimony, that's fundamentally the reason I am a Christian. I believe it's true. I fr frankly think that there's really no better reason to be a believer. And everybody, hopefully every person who is a Christian comes to believe that with increasing confidence. That's the reason I'm a Christian. It's the reason I think you should be too if you're not. It's true. Come and see. Come and see. The second response is go and meet. Come and see. Go and meet. Go and meet the man that is. And that wasn't really uh, uh, articulated in quite that way. But in verses 7 and 8, the angel actually told them 
to go let the disciples know that Jesus would meet them in Galilee. In fact, the way it reads, he said, come and see, go and tell. Like right, right back to back. Go let the disciples know Jesus would meet them in Galilee, but Jesus had a personal meeting planned for them with the women along the way. It says in verse eight, eight, uh, or verse 9, rather, that as they were walking, Jesus met them and said, greetings. I, I mean, again, I, can, I don't know exactly what that scene looked like, but you talk about being startled by you know, like, like Jesus sitting beside you at the Super Bowl party, uh, which, which might be a, a little bit more startling um, than this, perhaps. But, but uh, I don't know exactly how he appeared, but they were not expecting to see him there. And I just read that, and I think of the greetings sort of like, boo, you know. Uh, but it's just, a, it's just a normal, ordinary, it's just like hello or something. It, it could be used informally or formally. I mean, it's just a standard sort of greeting. And we have all at one time or another been startled, you know, by the presence of somebody uh, in the room or in the house, we weren't expecting to be there, right? You get home, you walk in the room, and then there's your spouse. And, oh, I didn't know you were home. Or uh, somebody walks up quietly into the room, and you didn't know they had entered, and you turned around, and, uh, you know, they, they sort of give you a little start in your heart. Well, this had to have outdone all those experiences. To be walking along the road thinking you're going to see the disciples, and there is Jesus, the risen Jesus, who says, hello. And the point here is to say, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is a person. I mean, I know that that doesn't even sound like anything that needs to be said out loud. But I think a lot of people, consciously or unconsciously, think of, you know, the risen Jesus as like, you know, one of these scenes from Star Wars where it's, you know, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi or Yoda or somebody, you know, this is sort of the, the spirit of them, you know, uh, talking still, but, you know. That this not really a physical person, but you know whatever, just sort of a ghost or an apparition or whatever. And I think sometimes people think about the risen Jesus as being that sort of entity, but he's a person in the flesh, and he relates to us as he did with them as persons. And we're invited, actually, to get to know him as a person. That's, that's a real invitation from Jesus. We talk about it uh, in those terms very often in the Christian community about having a relationship with Jesus. There are plenty of people who have grown up in church. They've heard about, again, the, the stories of, like, the resurrection. They've, they've, uh, they, they've learned some of the prayers, maybe creeds and confessions. I mean, certain things. They know the sort of mechanics and workings of church life, but never have really responded to the invitation to have a relationship with the person, Jesus. But that's the invitation that he offers to get to know him by spending time with him, talking to him, listening to him. 
I think it is instructive to us that the women here at the tomb were not meant to stay there at the tomb talking about the Jesus that they knew. It wasn't to invite all the rest of the disciples to the tomb and let's hang out and just have a little memorial time and we'll talk about funny Jesus stories or you know some of the great things that he said and so on and so forth. They weren't to sort of stand around and talk about the idea of the resurrection or the kingdom of God or whatever. He desired for them to meet him as a real person risen from the dead and he desires that for all who would follow him in the 21st century. That's the second response that would be appropriate for those uh, who have come to see that next they would go and meet. Number three, the third response here is bow and worship. Bow and worship the Lord. Bow and worship the Lord. When Jesus greeted them, it says immediately thereafter in verse 9, they came and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. I don't know if you really noticed that as we read it. Every time I read this passage uh, this, this past week and even leading up to it, that really grabbed my attention. They, they came and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And I might just make two points of note there. Number one, that he had physical feet to sort of underscore, support what I was just saying uh, before. He's a, he's a person, real flesh and blood, not an apparition, not a ghost of some sort. But, but probably more significant is that they found themselves suddenly at his feet, bowed down or face down before him. At foot level, they're struck with awe and even with a sense of fear. He says in the next verse to them, do not be afraid. Now, those of you who have read the Bible have seen this, this kind of scene repeatedly, right? And people meet an angel or kind of just about any encounter with heaven, as it were, and they hit the deck. They're just struck with fear. With awe. And they find themselves face down at Jesus' feet. Their, their reaction, interestingly enough, is not altogether different from the reaction the guards had to the angel. <laughs> They're on the ground at his feet where they belong. Because they have an immediate awareness of his greatness and glory. That he is not only a person, a man, but he is Lord. And to whatever extent they knew that before, they know it all the more at this moment. And it's an appropriate reaction, isn't it? It's an appropriate reaction the more that we know about what the New Testament even goes on to reveal about who Jesus really is. He is Lord beyond what we can really even comprehend. And he's worthy of us worshiping at his feet. The Bible says he's the image of the invisible God, the radiance of the glory of God. He's the living word who is equal with God. 
that, that, that by him, through him, for him, all things were created, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Right now, right at this very minute, the, the universe is being held together by the power of the word of Jesus Christ. That's an astounding claim. By the way, I usually make it my practice on Easter Sunday, knowing there are uh, people here who probably haven't been here um, since last Easter, um, or, you know, who, who just don't frequent churches. They, they might be at that point of inquiring, but they're really more skeptics. And, and it's, it, it's part of my custom to acknowledge there are things that, that the New Testament claims and that Christians believe. I had just said I think they're true. But I also like to acknowledge some of them are kind of weird. Right? I mean, like, like it's, it's really outrageous to claim that a, that a person rose from the dead, just, just that by itself. And there are things that go, go on to say that are just like they are so extraordinary, but they're true. They're true. Come and see. Come and see. But, but, um, but the Bible goes on to say not only that, but again, just uh, about who he is, upholding the universe by the word of his power. He's above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth is placed under the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the risen Lord, who's King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what the Bible says about him. And guess what? He commands our worship. If that's true of him, at his feet is where we belong. He commands our worship, he commands our obedience, and he deserves them. Response number four is go and tell. Go and tell. Come and see, go and meet, bow and worship, go and tell the story. Jesus said in verse 10, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. I mean, these are people who have followed them, given their lives really to Jesus. But, you know, the, the couple of nights before, a few nights before that Thursday night, when the wheels came off of the wagon, he got arrested, just abused, all that. They, they saw all of that unfolding. And they scramble. And so... They haven't really encountered the risen Christ yet. And I'm sure there are all kinds of questions in their head right now about what really happened. Who was he really? Was, were we, were we uh, fools to follow him all along? And so the, the women are to go tell him to go to Galilee, back where everything started. I'll see you there. That's their first really commission, if you will, to go and tell. And most directly and immediately was to tell the other uh, disciples. But, if we, again, if we were to continue reading, this chapter would end and this gospel would end with what we know of as the Great Commission, where, where they do go and meet Jesus. And he says, all authority is given to me under heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Don't just go tell the disciples he is risen. 
Go tell all the nations he is risen. Go tell all the neighbors that he is risen. Go tell all the family members and the friends and the co-workers, all the nations that he is risen. Because if it's true, that changes everything. And let me reiterate, it is true. Come and see. Well, no matter where we are, one by one, each one of us, no matter where we are in relationship to Jesus, there is something in here that demands a response of us, right? There's some response needed from us. And there's some response appropriate for, appropriate for us. Every single one of us. There may be some who need to come and see. Like that's where you are right now. You've not believed, but you've never really questioned. You've never really considered it, never really been interested. And so that may be the response for you. You just need to make an, ex an honest examination of the evidence. And start with the kind of questions you're inclined to ask or the kind of evidence that you're inclined to be convinced by. Examine the facts. Some may have already done that, at least as much as you needed to. You've heard the claims of Christianity. You've become convinced uh, by those claims that Jesus is the Son of God who lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death on the cross, and rose on the third day, overcoming the power of death and sin. You believe that, and you know Something has changed inside of you such that you, you just, you want, you're ready to have a relationship with Jesus. And so that would be the appropriate response for some today. Come and meet the person. Come and meet the person and get to know him in a way you haven't known before, uh, known him before and get to know Life and hope and the future and expectation of eternal life in a way you've never known before either. Meet the person. Some uh, maybe have done both of those things. You've, you've heard the truth, examined the evidence, you've met the person, but really have never worshipped the Lord in, in, in the fullest way that he intends for us to do. Maybe you haven't really bowed down your life to him. Or maybe others have done that once upon a time, but then life just kind of happened. Distractions came your way. You got busy doing lots of other things. Other things were a higher priority and so forth. And you need once again to just Surrender everything that your whole life is just at his feet in worship. For some people, maybe for the first time, that commitment to a life of worship may mean there are some that need to be baptized for the first time. If you've never received Christian baptism before, that might be the act of obedience next, an act of worship that's called for in response. Others just being regularly involved in public worship with the church, regularly involved in private Bible reading and prayer, just a life of worship, 
worship the Lord. If he is who he says he is, we can't get low enough. We cannot bow low enough before him. And not because he thinks so little of us or we need to grovel at his feet. It is because he is so good and glorious and majestic that that is just right where we belong. And then there are surely those among us, most of us, probably need, need to be more obedient in going and telling. And telling the story of who Jesus is, of what he's done, of what he's done in my life and yours. We just need to be more obedient and talking openly with others about Christ. And so, again, no matter where you and I are, there is a response that's appropriate. This is a, a one-size-fits-all sort of message. It doesn't fit all in the same way, but there is something here everybody can take away and do. I don't think anybody checks all those boxes completely. There's some way for us to respond. And so as we conclude our service in just a moment, we're going to uh, sing a song together, and I'm going I'm to ask even as we sing that you'll just be in conversation with the Lord about, Lord, how would you have me to respond today, tomorrow, and the days that follow that I would come and see, go and meet the person, bow and worship the Lord, go and tell others. Well, let's pray together. Oh God, you are great and greatly to be praised. And we thank you for this incredible story. One that really is almost impossible for the natural human mind to believe. These kinds of things don't happen, but they did happen and changed all of human history. Thank you, Lord, for that work accomplished in the tomb and out of the tomb and for the way that has changed human history. And the way it's changed my life and the lives of many here today. Thank you for that, Lord. God, I pray that by the power of your spirit, that you would cause that truth to penetrate the hearts of those here today. Especially those who need to meet the person of Jesus. And who would come to that point today even right now, of just saying, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I believe you died for my sins on that cross. And right now, I just turn from my sins. I turn to you. I lay down my life in worship before you and I want to get to know you, Lord. Forgive me. Come into my life as my personal Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray there would be those especially drawn to that place of decision today because I know, I know 
how utterly changed their lives will be. And Lord, for all the others, whatever it is needed in the way of response, God, I pray you'd call us to it and that you'd remind us of it even in the days to come, that we would not conclude this special Easter service and just go on to all the other special Easter things and forget what it is you've commanded us to do and what you've invited us into. So Lord, would you have your way among us? In Jesus' name, amen.